We are finishing up elder qualifications today. Good. Not everybody at once. Uh, we will be talking about deacon qualifications starting next week, and then we'll be uh, probably two weeks on that. And then we're going to be talking about baggage, something that no one deals with. So looking forward to all those things coming up soon, and uh, glad that you're here. We are digging back in. As I've reminded you every week so far, I will continue to remind you, especially through this series, because it's important that we remember this, that the Word of God is the authority in our lives as followers of Jesus, that we look to the Word of God as our authority, not only in our lives individually, but in our lives corporately as the church, that, that we would allow God's Word to guide us. Uh, the qualifications that we're looking at are qualifications for an elder, and uh, we've gone through those in, for a number of weeks, but I want you to remember and be reminded of again that this information is good for all of us, whether you say, I will never be an elder, or I'm not sure that I will be, or I, I can't be, or whatever it is, uh, that you would look at this and say, but these things are good for my life, that God, you would form these things in me, because it's not just for some like super-powered Christian, because that person doesn't exist. But that you say, I, I want to, to live a life that's above reproach. I want to, to not be quick-tempered. I want these things in my life. I want to reflect the heart and the, the love of Christ. And so God formed these things in me regardless of that. As a reminder, again, these are in your notes. Biblical eldership is pastoral leadership of a local church by a council of qualified spirit-appointed men. As we go through the next weeks and months, we'll be having uh, more interaction about this and talking more about where we're headed and where we believe God is leading us. It won't probably be in this venue so much as kind of times outside of this venue where we can talk about what that looks like and how that all fits together. And some of you might come out of this background and like, yeah, I've been in a church of elders. Like, nothing's new. Thank you for this reminder. But for many of us at this church, it's been not that. It's been deacons that have kind of been deacons and also kind of been elders at the same time. So they were kind of elder issues. Uh, and then we had trustees who were kind of something else. Like, so what we're trying to do is say, what does Scripture say? And let's do that. And not, that we, not to discount what we've been doing for 65 years. It's not that at all. But we feel like this will be a healthier situation from a leadership perspective to do things as we understand them from Scripture. And so I'm going to point you back to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You're probably tired of looking at those passages. Maybe not, but uh, we looked at them for the last two weeks. We're going to look at them one more time, only because we're going to be breaking down those, those verses again, just so we understand what these qualifications are. And we're going to look at them right now. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I don't know if it's about you, but probably in the last six months, like I've had to wear my glasses much more. I feel, I feel old. Yeah. 33 never looks so old. I get it. Just kidding. All right. First Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 1. This is a trustworthy saying that if any, this is Paul writing to Timothy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, and we've gone through some of these. We're going to go through some of these today. Some of you are probably going to be surprised by the things that we say today, maybe, uh, or at least maybe open your eyes to something different than what you've maybe been taught or known. Uh, must be above reproach. That's nothing new. That should be our lives. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Uh, interesting, we'll talk about that today too. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Therefore, 
he must be well thought of, moreover, sorry, they must be thought of well by the outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare, into a snare of the devil. Flip over, go right to Titus chapter 1, look at verse 5. Again, Paul's writing, talking about elders. And now tells him to, to, report, to appoint elders in every town as he directed him. If anyone is above reproach, again, he begins these lists, and this is important that we understand to be above reproach and what that means. We talked about that for a couple of weeks, about what it means to be above reproach. It really should be the desire of our hearts. The husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. You see that again. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and be able to rebuke those who contradict it. And you look at all that and you say, I will never be able to be an elder because I can never do that. And I will tell you uh, that you can. You will never do it perfectly. I believe this is a description of our hearts because there are days that I'm quick-tempered. There are moments that these things are not true of me, and many of them are not true of me at all the time. I'm not perfect. I don't do all these things perfectly. Any elder that says they do them perfectly, you need to run out of that church. That we are all fellow strugglers in this. I think our, uh, what's different is that our heart beats to say, God, I want these things to be true of me. And where I fall short, I'm going to be honest about them. I'm going to confess those things. And if this becomes a habitual thing in my life, then I either need to step back, take a break, or not be involved in that kind of leadership. That we need to be willing to be honest about those things. We talk about being real all the time. That even as leaders, we don't, sometimes as leaders, we can hide behind the fact that we're leaders and we let you assume that we got everything together. And that's easy to do. Like, oh, you're the pastor, so you don't really, it's, you're, we struggle too. <laughs> we are fellow strugglers. That this is our aim, this is our goal, and I will tell you as an elder, if this stops being my aim or my goal, I need to stop being an elder. I need to get out of that position. And I don't have to sit there and kind of fake it till I make it. <laughs> this needs to be true in my life. This needs to be my heartbeat. This needs to be my aim. And if it's not, then I'm in the wrong spot. And it's so important that we have healthy leaders, healthy elders, who really, this is their goal, this is their aim, because the church will reflect the leadership. And you've seen that in your companies, you've seen that in your life, you've seen that in other places, and it's true in the church because it's made up of people, and, and maybe even more so here that, that we don't, if we could say it this way, that our product is spiritual development, our product is lives being changed, lives being transformed, and it weighs so much heavier on, on us together. It's so important that we walk these things out, that we walk in these things as leaders we talked about these high-level requirements before, that elders are spirit-led, that elders are biblically qualified. That's why we're looking at these qualifications, because you may be considering, well, maybe God's calling me to be an elder. And then you look at the list, and you're like, <laughs> never mind. And that may be true. But you also may look at the list and say, but God, I want this to be true in my life. Because with this, or anything else spiritually, that you come to Christ by faith, it's by God's grace that you, that you even come at all. And that what we tend to do in church, and maybe what we tend to do in our Christian life, is we trust Christ for salvation, and then we say, thank you, I got it from here. 
And you've heard me talk about this so many times, but this idea of, of trying to walk this out in my own power and my own strength, and why I say constantly that we do these things in his power and his strength, that I can never become any of these without his working in my life, without my surrender to him. I will never be the husband that God calls me to be apart from him. I will never be the pastor, the elder, the teacher that God wants me to be apart from him. I will never be the Christ follower that God wants me to be to look like Jesus apart from him. Apart from his power, his strength, my surrender to that. And that's why we talk about surrender so much. And I've talked about surrender my entire ministry career because it comes back to that. God, if I'm going to be anything, if I'm going to reflect Christ, if I'm going to be the kind of leader that you want me to be, it's because I've laid everything down at your feet, that I've laid down on the altar. God, work in me, change me, transform me. And where I fall short, show me. And I'll lay those things down as well. I mean, that should be the heartbeat of your leaders to walk in humility, to walk in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord. And the last thing is to be above reproach. You talk about elders are spirit-led, they're biblically qualified, and they're above reproach. In any place where we're not above reproach, we need to deal with that. Because out of that living above reproach and being above reproach flows all these other things. It's so important. And I would put it back on all of us that that's making, making the decision of following elders and even in choosing elders that we choose wisely. And so we looked at the elders' private life. Last week we looked at the elders' public life. I'm going to give you a rundown real quick. They're in your notes already. But I'm going to just remind you of these because we kind of went through them a little quickly, but we're not going to spend a ton of time on them. But that an elder should be hospitable. We talked about that an elder should love Outsiders welcomes people, loves all people, not just the people that love him, not just the people that agree with him, but loves people, genuinely loves people because people are who God loves as well. And to reflect that heart, they need to have a genuine love for those who are outside the faith. The second thing we see is that they're not violent but gentle, that an elder should be a peacemaker, not a doormat, but a peacemaker, that he doesn't uh, use his fists, he uses words and he uses godly wisdom to really come to, to a, a, a conclusion that an elder is not quick-tempered, and you might say, well, uh, I'm out. <laughs> My encouragement to you, because you wouldn't say, well, I'm out of the faith because, hey, look, I'm quick-tempered. But as an elder, if you say, well, I, I really, God may be calling me to that, and I got this problem with, with being quick-tempered, what do you do? Doggone it, today I'm going to try not to be quick-tempered. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> God, I don't want to respond the way that I respond. God, change my heart. Point out those things that are, that are causing me to do that. God, change me. Help me today to not respond the way I did yesterday. Help me to ask for forgiveness where I need to ask for forgiveness and genuinely do that. I mean, it's a different kind of prayer because I think what we have grown up in is this kind of like self-help, do it yourself, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, Go be a Christian as opposed to, God, I can do none of this. It's a little different perspective. But he prayerfully, with humility, handles issues in a God-honoring, God cool-headed way. Likewise, he's not quarrelsome. 
An elder walks in unity with other people. <laughs> That's important. As well as those other elders. Elders uh, are men who get along, who uh, talk through issues, who love and forgive each other. They're not quick-tempered. Again, this all kind of ties together. An elder's first response is not anger, but really godly wisdom. They try to avoid being with angry people. Not that you shouldn't talk to other people, but again, we talked about this a lot last week. We looked at a number of verses that basically, in my words, that you are who your friends are. And so if you're hanging out with quick-tempered, quarrelsome people, guess what you tend to become? You hang out with drama people, guess you tend to become? I mean, those are the kind of things that happen. You hang out with people who gossip, guess what you tend to become? Although in church we veil it with a prayer request. I get it. But you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that in church. Like, hey, you know, I just need to tell you that uh, they're really having trouble in their marriage right now. And uh, I mean, we're, we're going to pray about it. I'm just had to tell you about their name and their situation and all the details so that we can pray more effectively for them. So stop. You're laughing because it's true. I know. Lover of good. That an elder is passionate about what God is passionate about, that God is the ultimate source of good, and that to love what is good is to really love what God does. I like this one too, well thought of by outsiders. This is important. We talked a lot about this last week, and may we walk in this as followers of Jesus, that your neighbors shouldn't look at you and say, I would never go to church because of you. I would never even want to have a spiritual conversation because of you. And I don't mean that you, you live fakely. I think you live real but I think you live in a way that your reputation is such that they look at your life and say, you know what, I, I would never agree with you spiritually. I, wouldn't, like, I don't even believe what you believe. I, I would we would never be on the same page, but, but if we're gonna, I would hang out with you. I would want you to be my neighbor. I would want to work for you because I, I, I don't believe in what you believe, but I believe in you. I mean, we should have that kind of reputation as leaders, but even as people of follow, who follow Jesus, that's the kind of reputation that we should have. And that's the kind of life that we should live. So that's a public life. Now we're going to get interesting. Are you ready for this? Buckle up. Paul says that she, that should be a husband of one wife. And for some of you, you've grown up in church uh, that you say, well, I'm disqualified. And I'll say, why? And you'll say, well, because I've been divorced. Some churches have taught that. Uh, some people will say that an elder should not be a polygamist. I would agree with that. So they look at the same, the same sentence, the same words, husband of one wife, meaning that you, can only, you should only have one wife. You should have only had one wife. Uh, you should have one wife, meaning like you, you can't be single and be an elder. You see where all this, like people look at this and like, well, this is what it means. Well, this is what it means. Well, let's look at what Paul says uh, even an elder must be married only once in life. But let's look at what the original intent is. And I'll give you this phrase that what Paul is saying here is that an elder should be a one-woman man. That an elder should love his wife. An elder should be known to love his wife. An elder shouldn't be, and I've been in churches and around leaders, and I just watch their eyes. Now, if you ever do that or not, and I don't say this self-righteously, I don't, but it's just interesting. You have conversations with people, and people walk by, and you just watch what they look at, and, and it begins to give you a picture of kind of where their heart is. And again, I'm never saying, I've never done any of that. I'm not standing here self-righteously. Like, I'm just saying that our lives should reflect a love for our wives. 
that we shouldn't be known as a womanizer. We shouldn't be known as like, hey, we shouldn't be, flirt. we should be people who say, no, I love my wife. And I shouldn't even have to say, hey, I love my wife. Like, no, no, he loves his wife. That an elder must be above reproach in his relationship with his wife, if he has one, because I believe the scripture would support that you can be single and, and be an elder. And an elder must also be blameless in his interactions with the opposite sex. And we've had this discussion before, but I will bring it up because it's a, it's a personal conviction of mine. This is not doctrine. This is not uh, anything. This is, goes down. If you go down the list, it's not, a, it's not anything up here. It's, it's where you, on your level or my level. It's, this is a conviction that I have, that my convictions and your convictions can be different. My preferences and your preferences can be different, and we can both love Jesus, and we can both be right. Does that make sense? Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. Because you might have convictions about certain things, and when it comes to this, and this is, this is mine, specifically in this area, specifically in my life, I've known, I do know pastors that, are, that don't have this conviction, and that's okay, and I still believe they love Jesus. But I'm not a touchy-feely kind of person. I mean, I love my family, and I will hug my family all day long. My boys are usually like, but when it comes to people, just in general, like I'm not even like a, hey, like dab me up. Like I'm just like a, hey. Because I've been really convicted in my life that I don't want to even, even like I don't want this to even come out. And I don't mean, like if somebody came up and says, I need a hug, I will give you a hug. <laughs> it's okay. But my preference is that I don't. Because I've also experienced where my interactions with you because of the position that everyone's, oh, you're the pastor, if I start showing any kind of affection that is even uh, begins to be inappropriate, it kicks it to a place of inappropriateness. I'm not against hugging. <laughs> I'm not against showing affection. I'm not against any of that. I and mean, the Bible's not against that. I'm telling you my personal preference from an accountability standpoint, from a uh, really having healthy boundaries, from having safeguards. I've said this before, but I, I reiterate because many of you are new, that I do these things because I want my life to reflect a life that's above reproach. Again, you say I hug. I don't care. Like, <laughs> great. What I don't want for me personally is kind of twofold. I don't want personally to fulfill something in you that should be fulfilled by someone else in your life. I don't want to give you a hug, and then you, I think you know where I'm going with that. Like, I don't want to, like, oh, here he comes. <laughs> Give him a holy hug, you know, and we, like, I don't want that. I also don't want that to fulfill something in me. Because we can hide behind that, like, oh, yeah, I'm a hugger. <laughs> and really, I'm actually using that for my own, again, hear what I'm saying. You can be a hugger and love Jesus, and you can be, you can be above reproach 110%. I'm not calling into question all you huggers out there, can you believe he called me out as a hugger? No, you can be a hugger and love Jesus. I'm telling you personally, when it comes to stuff like this, when it comes to stuff like the position that I'm in, I don't want that to ever stand in the way of what God wants to do in me and through me and in your life. And hopefully that makes sense because it's important. I don't hate you, but I want to make sure that you love Jesus. And I don't think a hug's going to stand in the way of all that, but I just wanted to clarify that because I really want you to understand that that's my own personal conviction. Uh, and I'm not anti-touch. 
but I really, I really don't want you, not that I'm the end all be all, but I really want you to, like, I love Jesus and I, I love my spouse and, and I wanna love my spouse and I wanna honor her. I mean, those are all things that are very important. But we must live above reproach. We must be a husband of one wife that we need to be as elders, one, a one woman man. So at the end of the day, there's no doubt that you say, yeah, he loves Kelly. Yeah, there's no doubt. And that's what I want. I'm not putting on a show. And there are times, like with everybody, that we all struggle with things. But my heart is to honor my wife. My heart is to not do anything that will sacrifice or, or compromise your relationship with the Lord or with anybody else. It's so important that we understand that. We were just talking about Strzok today. I'm going to give you a quote from Alexander Strzok. Well, we weren't talking about him, but we were, anyway. Biblical eldership, this is one of the books that we've been reading through. Uh, this may be, I don't know if you can see it or not, I will read it to you, but the, the phrase husband of one wife is meant to be a positive statement that expresses faithful, monogamous marriage. In English, we would say faithful and true to, a, to one woman or a one-woman one, one, one man. Scripture says that to, the candidate for eldership should be a one-woman man, meaning that he has an exclusive relationship with one woman. Such a man is above reproach in his sexual and marital life. That that's what it means. And sometimes we have taken it to mean something different. And I want you to understand that this is what we understand Scripture to say. Uh, somebody say, well, I've been divorced, so I can't be an elder. I'll tell you that let's look at your marriage. Let's look at your life. Let's look at, at where God has you. Uh, and we'll go on from there. So hopefully that makes sense. Because there are some people, they look at Scripture like that, and they'll say, talk about the divorce piece of it or something like that. And what I see and you've experienced this, and I've experienced this, is that there'll be people who are in leadership who are still married, but they treat their spouse like garbage. And we say that's okay, but we would never be willing to, in years gone by, a couple, a family, or say a couple who's been divorced, who gets it and understands and understands the love and grace and forgiveness of God, and who's walking blamelessly will look at their lives and not give it as much credit as, well, you guys stuck through 30 years, so... And we want, we want our leaders to reflect the love of Christ. We want our leaders to, to be a one-woman man. Is that enough for you? Are we done? Should we just stop there? Yeah. Too many feathers ruffled? Here's another one. Let's ruffle some more feathers. That manage his household well. An elder's first ministry is his home. I've said this from the 1996, before my kids were even born. That, uh, that as a, a pastor, that my first ministry is in my house. And I will never, and I don't think that we have, I don't think, have, we will not sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry. We will do what God calls us to do, and if that means it looks like some crazy thing, then we'll do it. But what I've seen through my years in ministry and, and growing up in church is that pastors who have taken their family they're the only dad and they're the only husband, but they sacrifice them for you. <laughs> and I get that there's levels of like, hey, you need, like, there's this thing. And you, yeah, absolutely. But my family is, like, my family, my kids won't have another dad. Meaning, I get that there could be, I hear what I'm saying. My husband, my husband, my wife, uh, my first wife won't have another husband, Hopefully. See if she's listening. Yeah, she's like, what did he just say? 
that my love, really an elder's love and attitude in life, it is an example for the family to follow. And this is good for all of us, that we would put our families first and that I rank my order of priority, that I'm a Christ follower, that I'm a husband, that I'm a father, and I'm a pastor. Hopefully you've seen that because that's how I live my life. And there are times that sometimes they go up and down and sometimes like, hey, I can't be at this thing because I gotta be here. And, but my heart and, and really where we should be is, is keep those things in the proper perspective. One example, if you turn to Philippians real quick, go left if you're still in Titus, go left to Philippians. I just want you to see this. This may be familiar to, to some of you, if not all of you. But one example of a heart that we need to have for each other in the church, in the family, uh, but especially as an elder, this is Paul writing of Jesus in chapter 2 of Philippians, starting in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so being in Christ, reflecting Christ, this is how our mind should be, and that's really only a transforming work of the Lord in our lives. Verse 6, who, though Jesus, he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And looking really at verses 5 through 8, just specifically of just serving each other, of, of being willing to not only look out for my own interests, but also the interests of others, of leading in a way by God's power to be a servant to your family, to be a servant to your spouse, to be a servant to those around you. That that is the heartbeat of Jesus, and that's the heartbeat that we should really reflect to serve our church, to serve our family, that we leverage those opportunities for the glory of God. As Christ followers, this should be our attitude as well. You're not off the hook because you say, I'm not an elder. Again, a lot of these things they keep coming back to. God, help me to have this attitude. Help me to serve. Help me to love people. Uh, An elder is supposed to manage his household well, and Paul is speaking to Titus about elders, and he says that his children are believers, and this is interesting. I want us to have proper perspective because what you can't say is, because we're going to look at a couple verses, but we can't say is that if your children don't follow Jesus, then you can't be an elder because I don't think that's the heartbeat of Paul here. Because it's important to understand that I don't come to Jesus because you make me come to Jesus. I don't come to Jesus because I've been guilted into coming to Jesus. That, that I come to faith in Christ really by an act of God in my life, life that would change my heart to open my eyes like, oh, wow, I am a sinner. I am spiritually dead. I do need a Savior. A better translation of this word faithful or or understanding this is that they're under control, that they're not accused of living in rebellion. Because understanding 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says, for God saved us. Who saved us? And called us. Who called us? It doesn't say that I did. It doesn't say that you did. It doesn't say that mom and dad did. God is the one who calls us. God is the one who saves us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus, that I can't change a person's heart. I can't change my boy's heart. 
I can't make them, I can't make you, I can't make your kids love Jesus. I can't make them surrender their life to Christ. I can maybe guilt them into it. I can maybe say like, hey, let's play this chorus one more time and you come on down. Kind of, I can do that. But what we want are genuine followers of Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus because you've chosen to follow Jesus in the sense that God has really opened up your heart. You're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm a wretch. I'm spiritually dead. Jesus, I believe that you're the only one that can make me alive. God, I, I just, I trust you. That's what we want. That's what I want. Not a, well, I was at camp one time and I looked at a tree and I gave my, I mean, that may be the case, but we want as you to be born again. That your life would be changed. Jesus says in John chapter 6, no one can come to the Father unless, come to the Father, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We look at Ephesians chapter 2, which is another verse, but it is God who saves us alone. It is God who draws us to himself, but for, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. We're talking about a lot of this in Romans, actually, too. But understanding that it's a work of God. And for Paul to put a requirement that we, sometimes we've understood this, well, if you can't be an elder, because sorry, not all your kids are believers. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that your, your children obey. Your children follow your direction. Your children uh, really uh, follow your leadership. And again, because we've all been there, we know that kids don't always do that. And again, there's going to be times where we're like, yeah, they're a little wayward. <laughs> But for not for lack of you saying, hey, do whatever you want. It's going to be all right. You know, because if you can't manage your house well, you can't be expected to manage God's house well. And that's what Paul is getting at. That children obey and follow your, the elder's instruction and discipline. An elder should have his house in order. And that's really the heart of what Paul is saying. And an elder should be caring and responsible. He shouldn't be a cruel tyrant. We've seen this in churches too. Uh, you may have been in a family like this. Uh, you may have been like this this morning on the drive-in if you have more than one sibling. Like, shut up, you know, get out. You're like wanting to beat everybody. Uh, but I think as an elder, as a person, as a parent, we need to understand this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That that should be our heartbeat, that we want them to love Jesus. We want them to know what it means to be a Christ follower, not just on Sunday morning, but that's our lives. And that that would reflect in our family life. I'm going to grump, grump, lump, group. That was group and lump together. I'm going to grump them all together. Uh, you can write all these down that Paul says these things that he is, that elder is able to teach, to hold firmly to the trustworthy word, able to give instruction in sound doctrine, able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. These are all kind of his ministry life that when you take all these together, what you see is an elder is a man of the word that he is a lifelong learner in all areas. If you're a leader, you better be a lifelong learner. But especially in this area of Scripture, that he's able to teach the Word, that with words and his life, that's very important. <laughs> that it's one thing to stand in front of people and say, this is how we ought to live, and then go do something different. If you're doing that as a teacher, if you're doing that as a pastor, you need to stop doing it that our lives should reflect what we're teaching. And, and what you'll find, and I know, Larry, you've mentioned this before too, 
that often the thing you're about to teach about, God has already done work with you that week about it. <laughs> like, you're, I got to teach on this, and man, I've experienced it this week. I mean, that's what happens. He lives what God says. He is able to point out the counterfeit and stand strong against those who are really speaking against the church and teaching falsely. And we've talked about this before, uh, but it's important to be reminded, especially some of you maybe haven't heard this, but this idea that when you try to point out a counterfeit or try to spot a counterfeit, you don't study all the many counterfeits to pick out the counterfeit. You study the true thing so that when the counterfeit comes by, you're like, what? What is this? I mean, it's like trying to pass like a monopoly money by, like, this is good, right? Oh, yeah, it's fine. No, this, this is not even close. But he, being able to spot it and to contradict it and to say, this, this is false. There's so much false teaching in the church today. The problem is, is that we watch so many things on social media that we start to think, well, yeah, that's, that, I mean, that makes sense. And it, it fits into my worldview. It makes me feel good. So, yeah, I believe that too. That our standard is not social media. Your standard ought not to be better not be me. There'll be things that I say that like, eh, or there'll be things that I'll say that I'll say correctly, but you'll hear differently. Or there'll be things that I say incorrectly and have to come back and say, hey, by the way, I, I messed that one up. Like, then I need to be able to do that, and you need to be able to hear that. But you, you should not put your stock in me. You should put your stock in the Word. So that when you're flipping through social media, so that when you're in a conversation, so that when something comes up and it's just a, and oftentimes false teaching is not like black and white. It's kind of like, like yeah, that kind of sounds right. We were talking about yesterday, talking about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and talking about, you know, just kind of just that notch off of that Jehovah's Witnesses, as I understand, you know, you look at... Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we point to that as the gospel message. And what you hear, somebody, I had this conversation with Jehovah's Witness, not yesterday, but relatively recently. What that verse, how they would interpret that verse is, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus was our example. When you die, you, your death is payment for your sin. And then you, if you were a good enough Jehovah's Witness, you will go on to live in paradise earth. And it's crazy that you could take that one verse and say, for the wages of sin is death. And we would say, we would understand the truth of that verse to say that I am dead spiritually. I will die physically because of sin. That I'm separated from God because of sin, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's almost as if they take that verse like, and they say all these things and it's just a notch off. But I wouldn't know that had I not known the truth. We need to, as leaders and as a church, you shouldn't put all your eggs in this basket right here. <laughs> but that you would be students of the word. That you would be able to point out counterfeits because... I'm not going to be there. <laughs> You're going to go through life and say, oh, that sounds about right. But may we reflect the word of God, being able to point that out. And our leaders should, should be in that place too. That we need to be able to, elders need to know God's word in order to encourage, in order to build up, in order to challenge, in order to comfort, in order to point out those counterfeits and speak against those things. Paul's instruction to Timothy, I'm going to give you these verses, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. These are good reminders for elders. They're good reminders for us to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. 
for the time, and, and some of you have pointed to this verse recently, <laughs> because you say, for the time is 2022, <laughs> for the time is 2021, for the time is 2020. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. That's what's happening in our culture. That's nothing new in our culture, but that's what's happening in our culture. You can do and be whatever you want to be, and God says that it's okay. Yeah, yeah, Scripture speaks against that. Scripture actually calls that sin, but we've wrongly misunderstood that. And everything is really okay. You're okay. I'm okay. And God loves you. I mean, that's the message that we hear so often, that that's a message that smells like smoke, as my professor would say, that it comes from some place <laughs> that makes it smell like smoke. You got it. We need to be Christ followers at Northampton who are, regardless if we're elders or not, who are, will know the word, who will live the word, who will teach the word because the church is under attack. God's word is under attack. There will be a day, and maybe not the too distant future, there will be a day when what I'm doing right now will either be very unpopular or not allowed. And again, we don't just get in a hole and say, well, I guess we're done. No. We figure out how to make it happen. And we help people to love God and we help people to, to love people and we make disciples. Whatever that looks like. We may never be able to meet in, in like this. Is that okay? Yeah, I can still love God, love people and make disciples. But we need people who are leading God's church that know what God's word says and live it and teach it. So the question for you, is God calling you to leadership in Northampton. We're not having a, a this is not a, like a leadership drive or anything. I just want to ask you the question because over the next months, you know, we'll be looking into, you know, who is God raising up? And it won't be just like, oh, we really like you, so come on. But we have gone through, uh, right now, we've gone through a number of years of seeking and praying and training and, and doing some more seeking and more praying. And so that will continue on, that we will have a system in place to help raise up leaders and We'll talk a lot more about that, but maybe God's calling you to be an elder. And also, is God challenging you as a Christ follower to grow deeper in your relationship with him? And that's probably, it should be a yes answer because none of us have arrived. But as you look at this, God, where am I falling short? God, transform me, change me, change my mind, change my heart, make me more like Christ. Because an elder is an important role in the church. It's not one to be taken lightly. If we want a healthy church, we want to continue to grow toward health, we need to have healthy leadership. And that's where it's at. Talking about deacons next week. You might be surprised what a deacon is because we've not really had deacons. We've had elder deacons or deacon elders. And so we'll talk about deacons. I'm going to pray for us.